Uh, we're just blessed to have you. I'm excited to see you at Life Church. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Mark. Mark is the oldest of the Gospels that was written. This was the first Gospel that was written. And this is the Easter story from his perspective. I'm going to preach a message this morning called Risen, Why It Matters. Why does it matter that he's risen? We, we, we saw it on the church sign as you pulled up. He lives. You're hearing it everywhere. He's risen. Why does that matter? Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. I know you've st- stood for a while, but just in honor of the reading of God's word, if you'd stand one more time. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And then the next two words just really kind of jumped off the page at me, trembling and bewildered. The women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Lord, we just pray that you would bless your word today as it goes forward. I pray for those that have special needs, those that are ill this morning, some that are still feeling the pain of losses in their lives. I'm thinking especially of Becky Bell today, whose brother just last Sunday passed away unexpectedly. We just pray that you'd minister to her as she's out traveling to be with family and be at his funeral. We're just asking God that uh, you would speak to us through your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Trembling and bewildered. Um, Another... Translation I read said, afraid and amazed, fearful and amazed. Um, I was trying to bring that down to where I can kind of capture the feeling of that. And the two words that I came up with were shock and awe. (laughs) Shock and awe. Do you remember where you were on January 16th, 1991? For those of you who aren't old enough to remember, it was the beginning of Desert Storm. I was still a student in seminary at Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and I was serving a 45-day tour of duty at Fort Campbell during my winter break as an Army Reservist chaplain. And most of Fort Campbell was gone because they had been deployed for Desert Storm 1. So I was there to minister to the few soldiers who were left and their spouses who were left uh, while they were um, going to be fighting Desert Storm 1. And I'll never forget that evening of January 16, 1991, when I turned on the television and we saw for the first time what it looked like for a war to begin 
that we could see on television. Some of you may remember that uh, Wolf Blitzer was on the top floor of a hotel and they were actually showing the bombs that were falling on uh, Baghdad. And I remember that it was actually called shock and awe. But I remember those feelings inside myself. There was that there was that shock and there, there was that fear. I, I was one of those that was fortunate enough to sort of be a little kid at the end of the Vietnam era and never had really grown up with any knowledge of war. And this was my first time to sort of be faced with what war was all about. And some of the guys that were fighting Desert Storm, I now knew from serving in the military. I was still a student and so I wasn't uh, active duty Uh, But I knew some of those guys, and I remember tears rolling down my cheeks as I was afraid that night as I saw those bombs that that were falling in Baghdad. But yet, mixed with the fear, there was another strange sort of euphoric feeling as well. There was a, there was an awe that was mixed with the shock, if that makes any sense. It, It was that sense that that, that, that even though it was a, the horror of war and, and, and feeling the sadness of any human beings that might be killed, there was that part of me that also felt like, at, at least at that time, 90% of our country felt like that was a, a justified war and that, we, and that we should be going over. And, and I was in awe of the, uh, of the overwhelming force that I was seeing and the power of the, of the U.S. Army. So I, there's tears coming down my cheeks, and there was a mixture of pride, and there was a, uh, this, I, the only way I can describe it is shock and awe. And I think about these women at the tomb that, that were feeling this, this sense of shock and awe. You know, the, 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 the resurrection story is really a rather not dramatic story when you read it, at least for the people who first experienced the resurrection. Now hang with me here because you're thinking, wait a minute, Phil, this is the greatest event in history. But when I read this story, it's, it's really not that dramatic what's happening here. This isn't a resurrection story. These, these women aren't going to the tomb with expectation that, hey, this is the third day. No, 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 no. These women are simply going to anoint his body with spices. It really doesn't begin at all as a resurrection story. It begins as a, as a grief story. I think that there's some things that people all over the world that we can agree on, whether you're Christian, non-Christian, Muslim, Jew, no matter what you are, believer, unbeliever, And one of the things that we can all agree on, and I think these people were dealing with it that day, is we can all agree with this, that all of us in one way or another are dealing with death. All of us in one way or another are dealing with death. And the reason that we're all dealing with death is because, and this is not going to come as a great shock to you, we're all going to die. The, the Bible says that's one of the most obvious scriptures in the Bible. It's appointed unto man once to die. We didn't even need the Bible to tell us to know that, did we? We, we knew that all of us at some point in our lives are going to die. And so when I see the opening of this story, 
I'm reading it as how these women are dealing with death. Everyone deals with death differently. These women are going to, you know, they love Jesus, and I think they're kind of doing it in a feminine way. They're, they're going to go and bring spices, and that's going to help them with their grief, and that's how they're going to deal with death. Now, where's the disciples, you know? I think the disciples are dealing with death in their own way. We, we all deal with death in our own ways, and, you know, I imagine, Coy, they're fishing by now. It's just, they're doing a manly, let's go fishing. Whoa, he's gone. Let's go fishing. <laughs> I, I, I'm, re, I'm reminded of a man in our church in Illinois by named Don Smith, who was our, our, our song leader. And I, I remember uh, he was diagnosed with uh, an incurable brain tumor. They knew it was serious, and his kids were with him when he visited the doctor, and he got that news, and his first words to his kids, his sons, were, let's go wet a worm, and he meant let's go fishing. He, he and his boys went out fishing. That was the way he was dealing with the, the news that he had gotten that, uh, that he was going to die. You know, my wife the other day was very rude to me. I was telling somebody that I was 48 years old, and she corrected me. She said, no, you're not. You're 49. <laughs> Wasn't that rude? <laughs> you know, when she told me I was 49, I think that's the first time it dawned on me that I was 49. I knew I had celebrated a birthday back in February, but it was all about the party. I didn't know that I had to turn the number <laughs> I had another year. And there was a little something inside of me that just kind of triggered when she said, you're 49. I was like, I'm 50 next year. What was I doing at that moment? I, I think at that moment, in, in, a very, in a very small way, I was dealing with my own death. I was thinking, you know. I'm not trying to be, this is Easter Sunday morning. This is an encouraging message, isn't it? <laughs> I was a hospital chaplain, you know, and uh, uh, it's interesting to pe see how people deal with death and how they'll fight it, what means they will go to. There was a Saudi Arabian prince that knew of a medical doctor who worked out of our hospital that was so outstanding that he flew to our hospital, this Saudi Arabian. He didn't have American insurance. He had cash. He had oil money. He had cash, and that Saudi Arabian prince was having a kidney transplant, and in the process, something went wrong, and his heart stopped on him when he was in our ICU, and this rich guy was so important, they didn't rush him to the operating room. They cut him open in, they were, they were massaging his heart by hand while I was watching in the, in the ICU there, and you know what? That guy with all that oil money and he couldn't buy his way out of dying. He died that night. And it, I was so inspired, I wrote a poem that's my children's favorite poem. And it goes like this. A prince died today. He died the same. Kerplunk. That's it. 
You, you know what? It doesn't matter if you're a prince. It doesn't matter if you're a pauper. <laughs> Sorry, James. <laughs> you are just getting ready to get your heart warm with a great poem. I know. <laughs> you know, this is Easter Sunday, and we're in Life Church. But there's an elephant in this room that no one's really talking about this morning, and that is, that is death. They're dealing with death. You know that guy that I told you about who had the brain tumor? He, um, he continued to lead the singing at the church, and it was funny. Over the weeks, he would start forgetting words as he was leading singing, and it, it just happened very quick. But he had this goal. His daughter was getting married out in Phoenix, and he wanted to be at his daughter's wedding before he died. And uh, so we were trying to just help him get to that daughter's wedding. And I'm telling you, the week of his daughter's wedding back in Illinois, he passed out on the floor, had to be taken to the hospital. He couldn't fly to his daughter's wedding. I took his ticket, and I flew to his daughter's wedding with his wife so his wife and I, in his stead, could attend his daughter's wedding this day that's supposed to be the greatest day of her life, their life, the daughter got married, and during the reception we got a call that Don died. Isn't that a beautiful story? It's not, is it? It's, it's, uh, it you know, we think we're Christians. This story's got, a, you know, you want this nice little wrapped in a bow kind of story, don't you, where he got to go to the wedding and everything worked out, but, but it didn't. You know, we're, we're, we're in a church where the, the, the founding pastor's son was killed in a hunting accident. There's just nothing good to say about Brian's death. And, you know, our, our former pastor, uh, you know, just cut down in the prime of his life with mesothelioma and, and, and goes, through, goes through a several-year several year sickness with that before his passing. And we, we'd like to put a nice bow on all of that and... Make it all beautiful, but the, the the truth is, we we all just have to deal with this fact that. And so I'm I'm saying all that to think about. I'm trying to get you into what's going on in this story. This is what's happening in this story. This is, if you will, the losers' locker room. You know, Indiana was supposed to win this NCAA tournament, and they got beat the other day. Don't you don't you hate seeing the losers? I, I, I kind of have a little shock and awe about looking at the losers' locker room. I, I dread it, and I'm fascinated by it all at the same time. You know, to see the guys, you know, talking about why they didn't win the big ball game, and Indiana, um, you know, they they lost uh, to, to Syracuse, and they go back home and. Somebody has to come and clean out the lockers. That's what these women were doing. They were cleaning out the locker. You know, they went from Palm Sunday where hopes were so high. Jesus is riding into town, riding in Jerusalem. They're they're having visions of grandeur. This is seven days later. Wow, how that week had gone wrong. And now they are in the loser's locker room. We're all dealing with that. Think about it. You know, that's why we exercise, and that's why we exercise. That's why we eat salad sometimes. 
That's one of the ways of dealing. Or then there's another way of dealing with depth that I choose the exercise route sometimes, and then other times I just say, forget it, I'm going to Krispy Kreme. You know what I'm saying? There, there, there's different ways of dealing with the fact, you know, some of us, sometimes we just throw up our hands. But all of us in one way or another are dealing with it. And they come. And curiously, curiously, they find when they get there that the tomb is empty. Hmm. Which leads to another fact of history. This is Christian, Muslim, believer, non-believer, you have to, if you're going to be honest, you have to admit this, the tomb is empty. Okay? You don't have to believe in Jesus to believe this part of the story. Otherwise, they could have come up with the bones of Jesus to prove that the tomb was not empty, right? Right? It's, it's, it's a fact of history that the tomb is empty. No, no real dispute about that. They could have gone to Joseph of Arimathea, took his body. They could have, if there was a claim that that tomb was empty, they could have opened it up, shown the body for all to see. But for some reason or another, the body of Jesus is empty. I had the opportunity last year to go to Israel and stand in lines of thousands of people waiting for a turn to visit the empty tomb. So, so I think we can all admit this, believer, unbeliever, we're all dealing with death. We can all admit to the fact that the tomb is empty. But I think if we're going to be honest this morning and intellectually honest, we have to... We have to be honest enough to say that the reason that the tomb is empty is open to debate. Not for me, but but it's open to debate. A young man in a white shirt says to the ladies, you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene. He was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Which of the news networks says, we report, you decide? Who's that? Is that CNN or is it Fox? Or I don't know who it is. Someone says, is that Fox? Okay, we report, you decide. That's, that's kind of what I feel when I read this. The re- this is the report. There's a young guy with a white shirt on, and he's telling them that he's not here, he's risen. But they have to decide. I think... As Christians this morning, we have to be honest enough to admit that God allowed for some doubt to be there. As to the, hang with me for a minute as to the cause of the resurrection. Can I just imagine into the story for a minute? Please don't strike me dead, God, for saying this, but the resurrection could have been a lot cooler. Okay, we used to do a drama of the resurrection every year. And we tried to stay real. Some of you are getting mad at me. I can see it right now. Hang with me, all right? Give me, give me a moment to get through this, Margaret. I'll be all right, all right? All right. <laughs> you, and Mar- you and Steve got your hands crossed there. I'm getting... <laughs> Melanie, I'm in trouble. <clears throat> Melanie did a 
put on a drama uh, back in back in Illinois where we 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 dramatized the life of Jesus, the death, the resurrection, and we stayed very very close to the scripture. In fact, most of the most of the drama was straight scripture, and it was dramatic. I'm telling you, we had the woman that was taken in adultery that came, and Jesus forgave her. The crowd went nuts. We had healing scenes where people went walking and leaping and praising God. That was amazing. Uh, you know, the, the, the scenes of the life of... You didn't, have to, you didn't have to add much to the text to make it cool. But if I can be honest with you, we had to, we had to tinker with the resurrection a little bit. Because if we had acted out the resurrection the way the resurrection actually happened... We'd have had grieving women show up. We'd have had a tomb that was there that was empty. We'd have had a guy in a white shirt say, uh, he's not here, go back. And we'd have had confused women walk away, and we would have said, dismissed, you can go home. That would have been the end of the play. That wasn't cool enough. So what we had to do is we had an angel come down with a sword (laughs) and pointed that sword at at the rock. And when it did, there was a laser beam that went out from the point of the sword to that, and at the exact time we had it timed perfectly, pyrotechnics went out inside of the tomb, and you could see, poof! And, uh, and, then, and then the stones started rolling, and light started, and then the smoke machines went off. And, uh, and, and Jesus came out. He, we had him in a $200 outfit. He came out. He came, he came out of that tomb... He had pearly white teeth. I mean, it was beautiful. And I'm telling you, the crowd went crazy. I mean, it went crazy. And I think we did the right thing because if we had done it the way this story told it, it would not have ended very, very cool. You know, God could have done some really cool stuff. I'm thinking skywriting. God could have done skywriting. Who's washing their hands now, Pilate? You know? I mean, wouldn't that have been cool? I mean, I, I or, or not bad for thirty pieces of silver, you know. I mean, I think, I, you know, I think there was just a lot of things that could have could have happened to to make nobody anywhere ever be able to doubt the, the veracity and the truth of what we proclaim today, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ is coming again. Every knee would bow and every tongue confess right there that Jesus Christ was Lord. God could have done the biggest see I told you so in history. You know, There's enough, you know, a guy in a white shirt. Come on. A guy in a white shirt. Is it a guy? Is it an angel? I don't know. He's wearing a white shirt. Could be an angel. Might just be a guy. I don't know. (laughs) He allowed... He allowed for those that want to doubt this story to be able to doubt this story. A friend of mine from Christian College has left the faith. I read his post 
last week on Facebook, and he was talking about, I kind of miss going to church on Palm Sunday. He said, but eating Pop-Tarts and reading the newspaper on Sunday morning is also a nice tradition. That, That just really gripped me, Daniel. Because how I come down on this story Determines everything. Determines everything about my life now, and it determines everything about my eternity. Is my life going to be about sleeping in, reading the paper, and eating Pop Tarts? Or as the song in my era said, Counting flowers on the wall, that don't bother me at all. Smoking cigarettes and watching Captain Kangaroo. Now don't tell me I've nothing to do. You know what I'm saying? That, 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 that existence can, can be fulfilling or it can really just come down to uh, that scripture that says, you know, we might as well eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die because everyone's dealing with death. Everyone's got to figure out what they're going to do about the fact that we're all going to die. Or my other friend that was also at Christian College with me who, who put a post up about Easter's roots being Ishtar, the goddess of fertility and sex, and he thought the way we ought to celebrate Easter, he's a gay friend of mine, by having more sex. That would be, that would be Easter, Ishtar. God could have, there's reason to doubt this story because this had never happened in history before. I mean, yeah, we know that Jesus had raised, by the way, the raising of Lazarus was cool. Lazarus, come forth. I think he did it in a British accent, you know. (laughs) Lazarus comes out wearing the grave clothes, you know. That's awesome, you know. There's no grave clothes. We don't see any of that stuff, you know, in this story. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, I should have gone to the Methodist church. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Oh. But, but can, I, can, can I just tell you this morning, I'm standing here as a preacher of Jesus Christ that's come to tell you that Christ is dying, Christ is risen, and Christ has come again. And I'll tell you why. Because in this story, there's enough reason to make me doubt my doubts. Jesus had told us that he would rise. The tomb was guarded. If I believe some alternate explanation of this story, I'm going to have to accept that Jesus' disciples were willing to go to their death and not deny the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. I'm going to have to buy the fact that they were willing, some of them, to be crucified 
all of them but John to be martyred. I'm going to have to buy the fact that those guys gave their lives for a lie. One, maybe two. But all of them? Every one of them? He left us enough reason to doubt. You know, when Jesus even shows up after the resurrection, I think he makes himself look a little bit different. It's like, it looks like him, but not quite like him. His voice sounds the same. I mean, there's two guys that are walking with him on the way to Emmaus. He's walking with them for a long time. They're two of his disciples. They don't even know he's with them until he breaks bread with them. He made, it, he made it almost intentionally ambiguous, I think. I think it's like the Easter drama ends and you get to pick the ending. You get to decide what happens at the end of this story. And how you answer that question determines everything. If indeed you say the tomb's empty, but the resurrection's a myth. I think it leads to a life of purposelessness. I think it leads to a life that lacks... De- I know that the atheists would say that they have the courage to be an atheist. I think it takes a lot of guts to be a Christian. And to believe that something that had never happened before. Like I said, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but this is this is this there's no body to raise Jesus that we can see. Jesus comes out all by himself. The Bible says God raised Christ from the dead. Paul says it this way, if Christ be not risen, our preaching is in vain. If Jesus is not risen, our move to Knoxville was the stupidest decision in my life. If Christ be not risen, I should be fishing. Paul says, but Christ is risen indeed. Paul, who had been a persecutor of Christians, gives his very life to this message. We're used to seeing is believing. You know, I'll believe it if I see it. Kids are gone, so I'm just going to tell you something. I finally quit believing in Santa after too many times not seeing him come down the chimney. You know what I'm saying? Nobody got to see Jesus come down the chimney. Nobody got to see Jesus come out of that tomb. So we're asking you to believe something so radical this morning God, by the way, God does his best stuff while you're not watching. He created this world while you were not watching. 
He made his covenant with Abraham, and he said, Abraham, I want you to go to sleep because I'm going to make this covenant all by myself. You know that Jesus died on the cross for you while you were not watching. He says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we didn't care about him, when we didn't give a rip about Jesus, he did his best stuff for us while we were not watching. And so it's as if God covered our eyes. He put the guards to sleep. He came out while we couldn't see him. And he sends a guy with a white shirt. You know, I happen to believe it was an angel. At one time there was a voice that came down from heaven and spoke to Jesus. And the Bible says that some heard the voice and others said it thundered. Some see an angel. Some see a guy in a white shirt. Some see the empty tomb and say, he lives. Some see the empty tomb and says, let's have Pop-Tarts. Let's go fishing. Let's do something else with our lives. You've been taught all your life that seeing is believing. Christianity is counterintuitive this morning, and I'm here to tell you this. The man in the white shirt said the opposite. He said, if you believe, you will see. Believe what I'm telling you this morning. Believe what I'm telling you, that Jesus of Nazareth, the one that you're seeking, he died, and he has risen, and he is not here And you can see the place where they laid him. If you believe that, if you believe that, then he said, then I want you to go to Galilee, and then you will see. If you believe, you'll see. It's not seeing is believing. Walking with Jesus means I step out in faith. And and the best way I can describe it to you is, is... is to, is to listen to your heart this morning. When I was trying to decide about coming to Knoxville, I, w- I had to figure out, was this God talking to me or was it too much pizza, Larry? And I got counsel from a lot of people about it, and one person said to me, listen to your heart. Can I just tell you that my heart was ringing for Knoxville. My heart was ringing for this city. And we came here on faith. And I'm going to be honest with you, okay? I've had my doubts along the way. There were times, Liz, this summer when we first got here and My family's grieving our losses from coming here. And I don't think I've ever told you that. I checked myself into a counselor here. I just went to another pastor and said, I need to talk, man. I just left something really cool in Illinois. And I'm going to something that's really going to be cool, and it's cool now, but it's 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 risky. (laughs) let me just tell you something. As, as, as I walk in faith, 
as I walk and I step out in faith, I'm seeing, I'm seeing, my, my seeing is following my believing. Is that making sense? So the more I walk in faith, the more I see. And the more I see, the more I have faith. And somebody asked me well, one time, why would you leave and go, to, go, go here to Knoxville? And, and I basically said, you just see what's here, but I see this city. And I see tons of people that need Jesus. And you know, I saw this Easter morning with this church packed out. We're going to get ready to go to two services and pack it out again, all right? You know why? Because there's packs of people in Knoxville that need Jesus. And believing is seeing. So I'm inviting you. So why does it matter? Well, Paul said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, you'll be saved. It's going to make all the difference in your life now, and it's going to make all the difference in your eternity. Christ isn't risen. What we're doing is meaningless. But Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. And you know what? I got to tell you, I love getting up on Sunday morning, going to the house of the Lord, being with God's people, getting in my Bible and finding instruction for my life during the day, spending time with Jesus. Can I just tell you this morning, it's been a blessing to raise my family in the faith of Jesus. I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade a day. It made my heart weep when I read about Pop-Tarts and reading the newspaper. Because my life is so full because when I saw that empty tomb, I listened to my heart. My heart said, He's risen. He's risen. I'm going to ask everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. I'm not going to ask anybody to come forward this morning or anything like that, but I do want to say if you today would just like to invite Jesus into your heart and say, I believe that God raised Christ from the dead. I believe in the resurrection this morning, and I want to claim him as my Lord. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand across this building when no one's looking? Thank God. Who else? Who on this Easter Sunday 2013 would say with me, my faith is high this morning and I just, I just am going to believe with you, Pastor, for God to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think in this church and in this city. If, if you're with me this morning in that, would you raise your hand across this building? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Christ has died and Christ is risen. Christ will come.